Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm James Allgood, one of today's co-hosts. I'm in product marketing for Ignite, a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of Biotech 2050 and one of today's other co-hosts. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a platform that provides access to the world's life sciences expertise and is the place to discover, build, and manage on-demand life science teams. I'm excited to welcome Jeffrey Goldberg, president and CEO of Immunitas Therapeutics. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. So to start off, we'd love to understand the arc of your career and how you got to be where you are today. Sure, absolutely. My fascination with biotechnology started early on. I still remember ninth grade biology, Mr. Stepanian taught a unit on recombinant DNA. I won't tell you about how many years ago that was. And I was hooked. That's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so was an engineer as an undergrad, really focused in on life science and on biotechnology. And then got the opportunity to work in the field. So I've been doing this 25 plus years across multiple companies, multiple therapeutic areas. I spent a big part of my career with Genzyme, where I led teams from discovery through development into commercialization across multiple therapeutic areas. I had the chance to see drugs when they were first nascent and born and take them all the way to and through commercial launch. Great opportunity and not something you get to see often in a career. And I was very fortunate to work on some great products and things that really took me to wonderful places. Genzyme got bought by Sanofi, as many of the listeners may know. Uh, I stayed with Sanofi for a couple of years and then decided my heart was in something a little smaller, a little more nimble. And so I left and joined a couple of small companies. Just prior to Immunitas, I was the founding chief operating officer for a company called Axia Therapeutics, which I built up with my boss to about 300 people on a global basis. We launched a couple of rare disease drugs, took the company public, you know, great run by all accounts. And I joined Immunitas almost two years ago now as the chief executive officer. Great, Jeffrey. And so we've heard a lot about the talented folks that have come out of Genzyme and the culture, and especially since you were there in the early days, would love to hear from you about, you know, what was so unique about Genzyme? Yeah, I mean, I think it started with Henry Tremere. You know, the world is, is a sadder place for his passing, but Henry was a force of nature. And he really was not just a cult of personality, but just an amazing leader and really gave people the room and the opportunity to engage and try new things. I can't tell you the number of times that I went into a boss or a colleague or someone and said, hey, I'm thinking about this. And they said, that's great, go do that. And I think that's pretty rare in industry writ large, much less biotech or, or pharma. And I think it really fostered this amazing generation of leaders who came up under Henry and then fostered people under them who fostered people under them. And now you can't turn around in Boston biotech these days without running into a Genzyme alum. And it built this incredible infrastructure of really talented leaders, people who saw lots of different things and gave us great opportunities to learn things that were outside of our comfort zones and gave us real foundation in leading teams, whether they be early stage, late stage or anything in between. And I imagine that being the founding COO at Axia was a great entree into, into then becoming CEO of a biotech was wondering if you'd be willing to share what were some of the interesting lessons that you learned along the way going from Sanofi to proteostasis and then helping to found a biotech. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, and I think it even go back even further. I would say that my entire career 
has given me lessons and opportunities that build in kind of a comprehensive way to today. From my earliest engineering and program management days, learning how to work with teams and with people from lots of disciplines and being not the smartest person in the room by any stretch of the imagination. And frankly, I, I love that. I love when the room is smarter than me because that's how I learn and that's how I grow. And so how do you bring those teams together? And then how do you bring additional perspectives to the table, right? How do you make sure that voices are heard, that conversations are had? I had a chief medical officer say to me once, drug discovery and development is a team sport. It's a full contact team sport, but it's a team sport. And we definitely need everybody in the room and learning and appreciating that all the way through my career has really helped enable me to get to the point that I'm at now. Specifically looking at Axia, you know, my first time in a C-suite and really allowed me to think about the balance between operational details and being in the weeds and taking that step back and leadership. And where is leadership? Where is management? Where is operation? Where do you roll up your sleeves and where don't you? And I think that was something that Genzyme was also great for, was learning those and getting into opportunities that you never would have seen otherwise. And so for me, you know, the best advice I could give someone who wants to kind of follow that path is try to get exposure to many things. You know, the linear path up the marketing ladder, the linear path up the scientific ladder is great for a lot of reasons. You get to go very deep on things, but make sure you're getting a little bit of broad because that's what leadership really comes down to is you're never going to have that single scientific question, that single operational question that doesn't need input from the other parts of the world. And recognizing that early on and embracing it, I think has been a key to at least what I would consider some of my successes or, or, or not, as you may call them. As a rugby player, I can fully appreciate the full contact analogy. Jeff, can you outline the mission of Immunitas? Absolutely. So Immunitas, and this was actually part of what drew me to the company in the first place. Immunitas really, first and foremost, is about building therapeutics, right? Our primary goal is to build drugs for patients in need. We do it a little differently than the others. Uh, we really want to start in human biology. We think that that's the best way to build human therapeutics. Historically, people have looked at you know, all kinds of preclinical models and mice have been used to great effect in certain areas, but mice are not tiny furry humans. And that translation doesn't always work. And there have been some pretty spectacular translational challenges over the course of the last 20 years, certainly, and maybe in the last 50. And so what we do is really start and root ourselves in that human biology. And I'll talk a little bit more about the technology in a few minutes, but really our goal is to use human biology to inform human therapeutics, because particularly in immunology, which is the space that we're in today, the immunology landscape is incredibly complex in humans, and it's even more complex in mice. And so again, that translation has been really difficult. And that's really our core mission, is to bring drugs to patients in need by leveraging human biology. What challenges are you tackling in translating promising preclinical results into human trials? Yeah, so we're right at the cusp of that now. So the company is just shy of two years old and moving very quickly. You know, we were founded in 2019 and we're going to be in the clinic next year, which is a pretty rapid progression from kind of a, an interesting concept to actually having a real drug and more coming on behind that in the pipeline. I think part of the challenge, and this is not unique to Immunitas, I think this is uh, really something that the industry writ large faces, is the balance between, I'll call it advocacy and inquiry, but really it's speed and data, right? Is that balance of how much data are enough for us to be convinced to take the next step? How much de-risking do you need before you spend that next dollar? And the balance has been all over the map. 
right? You see programs that are 10 or 15 years in cells and you see programs that go very quickly into the clinic. I personally am a purist. I like just moving to the relevant data, which for me is the clinical trial. So you want to know enough to know that you've got a shot of working and that most importantly, you're not going to hurt anyone, right? First, do no harm. But beyond that, how much more data do you need? Do you need 17 models when 16 will do? Do you need 16 models when five will do? And that's the balance that we're striking. And as a new company with a lot of new employees working together for the first time, that's a discussion we have regularly. And again, not unique to us, but I think the way we're approaching it and the speed with which we are executing is different. And Jeffrey, on that point, we'd love to better understand the underlying scientific platform that you've been working on over the last couple of years. Of course. So that's really the core business and the core of what we do. So we start with human samples. So we actually use human tissue. In our case, we're focused right now in immuno-oncology with opportunity to expand beyond that. We're really focused today in oncology. So we start with human tumor samples. We actually get samples, we bring them into our lab, which has been historically very challenging to do. We've built great relationships with local hospitals. And then we run something called single-cell RNA-seq, which many listeners may be familiar with, but really looking at the full transcriptome, every piece of RNA that's being produced by those cells. And from that, we can understand what genes are upregulated, what genes are downregulated, what proteins are being produced. And it gives us a real map and a real atlas to look at for all of those cell types. And so we can look at particular cell types. We can look at T cells or NK cells. We can look at tumor cells. And as we couple that data set, which is really large and robust, with computational techniques, so a lot of machine learning, a lot of artificial intelligence, statistical techniques, we also couple that with biological insights because letting the computers do their thing with this massive data set may yield results, but we want to harness and focus that. And then, as I said before, because we are a therapeutics-focused company, we also wrap in clinical perspectives. And so we're really thinking about beginning with the end in mind, what problems do we want to solve and how can we solve them? What things can we drug and what things can we get after to make medications that actually will benefit patients? And you've achieved a lot with a relatively lean team. And before we get into your pipeline, would love to understand what you've learned along the way. What has driven so much of your R&D efficiency that you're willing to share with listeners? First and foremost, hire great people. Secondly, enable them and then get out of their way. Let the scientists run the science, but always harness to how is this going to help us get to a drug, right? I tell my team regularly, guys, we're not here to write the next great nature paper. If we do, that's amazing, right? That's, that's a wonderful outcome. But what we're here to do is drive drugs into the clinic and solve problems for humans in need. Really, that mission statement and that focus really helps harness the power of the amazing scientists that I've been fortunate enough to work with. And so really, that's been the key driver for us in terms of being efficient about it is make choices, focus the work, and always be in service to building drugs for patients. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about the Immunitas pipeline? So our lead program, really interesting, really differentiated programs. And this is an example of the kinds of work that we bring up through our platform. So the lead program targets something called CD161. It's cell surface expressed marker, heavily involved in NK cells and has been known on NK cells, a form of immune cell, for many, many years. Recently, with some seminal work from our founders, using the single cell technology, using the platform, they were able to also discover that it plays a really important role in T cells. And this has been challenging to really decipher because, as I said earlier, mouse models are not representative. The mouse biology is actually completely different. 
And so you actually have to go to the human biology to really understand this. And it really takes single cell and some of the more advanced techniques to really look at it. So what does it do? CD161, as I said, expressed on NK cells and on a broad population of normally active T cells. So cells that would go in and kill a tumor. The tumor and a bunch of the immune cells express the ligand, which is CLEC2D. And when CD161 and CLEC2D interact, it causes significant suppression of the function of those otherwise active immune cells. You can think about it as a don't hurt me, move it along, nothing to see here kind of signal. And so what we do is we have an antibody that we're building that will block that interaction and restore that function of both T and NK cells to very active cells addressing both adaptive and innate immunity. And so as you look at kind of the way the landscape is today, people have been looking at T cells by themselves, people have been looking at NK cells by themselves, and you're starting to see, oh, what if we actually did both? And then people are starting to bring in macrophages and other immune cells as well. So we love this dual mode of action because if the T cells are blocked by something else, it goes around to the NK cells and vice versa. And so this should be a really powerful tool for us to use to really solve problems in cancer where things like PD-1 and other drugs have been you know, incredibly successful, but not successful enough. And we want to continue to add to the armamentarium of doctors to help patients in need. And then behind that, we have a number of other programs that are similar in nature, but just with different targets that have all come out of our platform. And we're continuing to advance those along to drive them to and through the clinic. Thanks, Jeff. Switching gears a little bit, you know, this last 16, 17 months have been really difficult for every single organization that's been out there. I'd love to hear from you as, you know, things haven't quite opened back up across the Boston ecosystem. What were some of the implications that the pandemic had on you being able to progress your pipeline and how you effectively navigated these given how many programs you do have across your pipeline? Yeah, I I will tell you, it has not been easy. But again, I start with, got a great team and they really rallied and really moved very efficiently through kind of figuring out what is the new world order. Our science and our team are primarily lab-based. So it's very difficult to run those experiments outside of that. You know, it's, I can work from home. It's not as easy for someone who's growing cells. Though I did offer my garage at one point, uh, I was roundly, you know, (laughs) I've got running water and electricity. I figured that'd be enough. But that's actually, to a certain extent, that's kind of how we ran it. We did shift work and managing time and people were incredibly responsive about, all right, I will feed your cells because I'm going to be in this afternoon if you can cover my HPLC run tomorrow morning. And so we were able to trade off, not just with our own team, but also across the ecosystem around Boston and, you know, sharing pipette tips and things like that. You know, people were incredibly generous and incredibly responsive to, this is unprecedented. We don't know how to operate in this time. Let's all figure it out together. And then just an incredible number of Zoom calls, right? Much like everybody else on the planet, my team got reduced to boxes on a screen. I spent a good year before I met some of these folks in person. And that's hard when you're trying to build an organization and build a culture. But in spite of that, and again, I just give tremendous credit to the team and the the folks that we were able to bring on, everybody stepped up and solved problems and drove science and were able to move our pipeline along both internally inside of our walls, as well as our external partners and collaborators. Um, And it just was a lot more phone calls and a lot more Zoom calls than we normally would have. And, you know, was it easy? No. Was it fun all the time? We tried to, but weren't always successful. Was it successful? I'd say yes. 
And again, testament to just the willpower and the mission and, and how it drove people to really want to solve problems. And on that point, Jeff, what are some of the advancements you've observed or perhaps uh, shifts in mental models across the industry that you've observed that you think last much longer after the pandemic is done? I, I think for me, the work from anywhere, the flexibility, you know, I've been a big believer in that for years, but I've worked with sales teams and global teams for a long, long time, right? When you have 20 people in a lab in one building, you get used to the idea of walking down the hall and seeing somebody at the coffee station. And don't get me wrong, those are incredibly valuable opportunities and I never want to lose those. But the idea that there's a nine to five schedule and that you know if you're not in the office, you're not working. I think many people have, I want to say, finally gotten over that. Some got there sooner later than later. But I think that idea of you have the opportunity to be a knowledge worker. And in our industry, that's the most valuable thing that people can bring to the table. You know, there's sometimes hands, but mostly it's brains. And those brains can work from a Starbucks. Those brains can work while, you know, chasing their kid around the kitchen. Those brains can work at 9 p.m. or at 9 a.m. And having everybody in the same space all the same time for, you know, a concentrated eight hours, I think that's important to an extent, but not as critical as we all imagined it to be. And I think increasing flexibility and the response I've gotten from my team when I've said, look, guys, at the end of the day, I want you to come to the office because it's a nice place to work and because you can collaborate. But if it makes sense for you to be out for an afternoon or for a morning or for a day or for a week, let's work that out. Let's make that happen. And the response has been incredibly supportive and it's been great. Thanks for sharing, Jeff. You mentioned you know, the challenge that the Boston ecosystem is currently facing around talent and how difficult that has become, I'd say, over the last five to 10 years or so. What are you observing now that is different than perhaps what we all were observing five to 10 years ago? I think it's just accelerated. I think the pace of competition for talent feels exponential right now. I mean, we see multiple resumes for jobs and people come in with three offers already on the table. And this is particularly true at like the research associate at the scientist level the incredible maw of massive infrastructure and massive investment has just created this opportunity that frankly, we don't have the staff for out in the world. And I think that's true at all levels, but I'm seeing it particularly at the scientific levels. And that may just be the space that I'm in, but as I talk to other CEOs and friends and colleagues, I hear the same thing, that the war for talent has just gone through the roof. Salaries are way up. People are getting three, four, five offers at a time. It's an employee's market right now. And that, I think, in some ways is really great. The challenge is the efficiencies of getting people connected. And, you know, tools like LinkedIn and things like that have been super helpful. Uh, you know, I mean, even tools like Flora for, you know, helping us fill gaps and solve problems are great opportunities. But I think that, you know, as an industry and as a, an ecosystem, finding better ways to connect people and to connect people to the right opportunities is going to serve us all incredibly well. And so I always try to be as generous as possible when people ask, hey, who do you know? Because I'm going to be on the other end of that phone in six months going, hey, who do you know? I owe you a coffee for the plug. So thank you. Uh, I'm here to help. <laughs> and to close out, you've had a career across many organizations for our perhaps younger listeners or folks that are thinking about making a shift into something that is similar to what you're doing now or have long-term aspirations to do so. What's one piece of advice you would have provided your younger self, knowing what you now know? So my younger self, I would have told, shut up and listen. 
right? You, you are not the smartest guy in the room. There are people you can learn from, so learn from them. And fortunately, my younger self was smart enough to do that occasionally, but probably not as often as I could have. You know, I, I think the idea that none of us is as smart as all of us, that everybody has something to contribute, and that there are ways to engage that allow people to really feel nurtured and fostered and part of that conversation, for me, is absolutely key. And, and frankly, that's true whether you want to be a CEO or whether you want to be a bench scientist, right? This doesn't work without the people. Science is great, and the foundation of science is critically important, but it's a foundation and it's the people that drive the work. It's the people that drive the science, the people that drive the business. And you know, as an engineer, sometimes that's a little painful for me to admit, but it really comes down to the who you have and who's around you and how can those people work effectively together. And so for me, you know, shut up and listen, engage the people around you, learn from them, and make sure that you're getting the full story from everybody around you because they all have things to contribute. And if you miss something, you may have missed something really important. Well, Jeff, on that note, it's been a pleasure to get to learn more about you, your career, and the meaningful work that you and your colleagues at Immunitas are, are pursuing. Thanks for joining us today and for sharing your story. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.